If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or are looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. On the following episode of The Transition, I sat down with Andrew Arbogast, an Army veteran and founder of Arbo's Cheese Dip, a cheese dip based off his family's secret recipe, which is making strides in Memphis, Tennessee. Andrew is a member of our current veteran and residence cohort and has been pounding pavement to get Arbo's in grocery stores in the greater Memphis area over the last year. On The Transition, Andrew opens up about what led him to found the company after a 10-year career as an Army Apache pilot, his recent transition to working on the venture full-time, and the challenges that come with running a business while simultaneously managing his responsibilities as a husband and father. Andrew doesn't hold anything back on the transition as he takes off his armor and gives insight into his own struggles as an entrepreneur the last six months, including all the highs and lows that come with running Arbos. Before you hear from Andrew and I, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. As a reminder, I release a newsletter once a week on Tuesday mornings with actionable tips and advice you can apply in your venture. This past week, I published a newsletter on how to drive demand and revenue in your venture by flipping your sales funnel upside down. Substack allows you to leave comments on the newsletter and podcast episodes. That way you can let me know what topics you'd like me to cover, either on the show or write about in the newsletter. In addition, if you're interested in contributing to the newsletter with the post, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by the MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Andrew, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the bunker. Hey, Mike, I appreciate you having me on. I've, I've been uh, excited about this uh, all day today, so appreciate you having me. What's got you excited about being on the podcast? Being able to express what I've been going through for the last six months, the highs and lows and ups and downs. And I, I just hope that maybe I can connect with somebody out there that's either struggling or uh, doesn't know if this is right for them and uh, just find a way to, to make it through to them if I can. Yeah, man, I hear you. We're all out here in that hustle and the grind. And sometimes it feels like you're going through it alone, but it is super therapeutic to be able to come on here and like express ourselves you know it's like i think i believe that audio is the future of publishing and so uh just kind of having these kind of mediums just come on here and just just speak our truths man super powerful and super therapeutic oh i i totally agree and and uh my wife before i came came over over to here i told you i was at my parents house just so uh it was kid free for the next hour and a half um uh, my, my wife's parting advice was uh don't forget not to ramble. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Love you, honey. Uh, <laughs> Cause I, I tend to just go and overshare sometimes, but I mean, I think that's kind of the, the only way I know how to do it. Just genuine approach. Yeah. And for our listeners, y'all can't see my man, Andrew, but he's decked out in some swag. He's got the Arbos hat. He's got the Arbos t-shirt. He's uh he's fired up and ready to go. So what we got to do, man, go ahead and introduce yourself to the bunker, Andrew, let them know about who you are, where you're from and what you got going on. Oh man. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, it's hard. You'll be hard pressed to find me outside the house these days without wearing something Arbo's related, but, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's September. And it, if you just go back and log into bunker labs, um, and review some, some threads back in, you know, January or February, you'll see that, I didn't even have a concept or maybe the concept was just selling my father's 40 year old cheese dip recipe. Right. And, and people hear cheese dip and they're like, what? 
and it, I can't explain it um, other than it's something that just kind of bubbled to the surface um, at the end of this end of last year, kind of uh, towards the end of, you know, the first full year of the pandemic, if you will. But um, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and um, born and raised here in the Catholic community. My, my parents sent me to Catholic school growing up through eighth grade and um, I ended up leaving for uh, boarding Catholic boarding school in Arkansas uh, for my freshman year. So I kind of had to grow up a little early um, and be, be, you know, gain some independence there. But um, Memphis has always been my home. Um, my wife is from here and uh, being gone since the age of 14 and then eventually making it back here 18 years later after a 10 year military career. Um, I'm glad to be able to call it my home again. And, and that, that happened in 2018 when I moved back here to work for uh, a Fortune 500 company called International Paper um, right after getting out of the service in 2017. And so when did you come up with the idea for Arbos? Was it going through an accelerator program or what? No, no. So so this is one of those. And I've listened to the podcast you have, Mike, and, and it hurts me to hear the struggle that some people had to go through that I feel like maybe I got uh, just a, a head start on. I don't, maybe it's because I spent time grinding in other areas, but I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. And, you know, one of my ROTC instructors, Major Stackhouse, uh, he would always say, you know, this guy's retired. He's like, I still don't know what, what I want to do when I grow up. And I kind of feel like him in a way, but I feel 100% reassured that what I'm doing right now is my purpose and it's my calling, right? But if you if you look at the trends of where I was growing up to where I am now, it's it's each stage I'm a totally different person, but the same passions and the same concept remains the same. It's like I love helping people and I love the idea of food and bringing people together and that just that bond that's created through that wanted to go to culinary school after um, after high school, but ended up getting a college education and, you know, doing the Army ROTC thing at a small school in Missouri called Northwest Missouri State University. And uh, from there, I ended up, you know, my senior year, it's like, well, go pick your your Army branch. And man, I I'm not a, you know, a straight A student by far. And and that's kind of one of those things that you get graded on um, in ROTC or in the military, your order of merit list. And, you know, a lot of things stack up. How good is your GPA? How good is your performance and so on? But if you look at, you know, from, I, I guess, the earliest age of getting report cards all the way through my senior year of college, I mean, I'm an average student, like maybe even probably below average in, in a lot of a lot of places. Uh, I, I don't know if it was just because I couldn't focus, I didn't like school, or if I just wasn't a good student. You know, uh, either way, the only like accomplishment I think I got uh, was perfect attendance in sixth grade, and you know that was my mom's doing, uh, making sure I didn't um, play hooky on on, uh, on any any sick days at school. But my point is is I've been searching for fulfillment in some form or fashion my entire life. And I have found it in several different spaces. Like I said, you know, I joined the army. I, I had this inkling that, or, or urge to serve my country, you know, and, and you can call it 9-11 that, that played a major role of it, but you could also call it, I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I could do after I graduated college. And here is a way that I could give back to my country, become a part of something bigger than me and look pretty cool doing it. You know, so like I said, the aviation thing um, came about my senior year in ROTC. I got selected uh, to go to flight school and, you know, still going on that, that I'm not the best student. So flight school is hard, man. Like people are like, oh God, I can't believe you flew Apache helicopters for 10 years. Like, it was not easy. This stuff does not come easy to me, man. There are so many struggles that I had to deal with just academically, but then also, you know, not just learning to fly, but learning to not only manage the aircraft and the other person in the front seat, but a flight of two 
in combat while you're getting shot at and you can't see anything because a dust storm has just taken over. Right. So those are things that I feel like prepared me for what life had in store in me, had, had, had in store for me. I just didn't know what it was because I was still searching, but I knew that I reached a point where I needed to put it into the military career and see what else was out there. So you've always just been kind of passionate and driven, would you say? You know, I am. I give my all if it's something that I want to do. Like the whole the whole high school, I picked up a tennis racket for the first time my freshman year. And then that next year I, I was double state champion or contributing member of the double state champion team in Arkansas. And I never played tennis before, you know, so it's like, I love doing that. So I gave it my all, but in other places I didn't give as much and it showed. Um, and the food piece, I was like, well, if I'm going to go to college and, you know, I can't go to culinary school, maybe I'll at least major in food science. So I did that. And my idea would be, Hey, once I get out of the military, if I'm still interested in this, I can apply that degree towards, owning a restaurant or whatever it may be somehow involved in food. But the army was like, you should probably change your major unless you want to be a cook, you know? So I picked the, the next thing I liked the most, which was like psychology. Like that's a, that was a cool class. Um, I guess I'll major in that. And what am I doing with psychology today? Absolutely nothing. Right. So I got a degree. I'm not saying, you know, college was a waste, but cause that gave me the opportunity to, to, join the military as an officer. But I I just, I knew that at some point I needed to trade in the, the flight boots and the gloves for something else. And I, and, and to me at the time it was money, like financial success. Um, You know, I started reading all these books and, and, and uh, meeting with all these junior military officer recruiters like Cameron Brooks and Lucas group and so on. And, and, you know, seeing that I had some potential there based on my leadership experience, because I knew I didn't want to I didn't want to fly. You know, I didn't want to get out and fly helicopters. I wanted to use fall back on my leadership experience, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, supply chain, marketing, logistics, uh, sales. I don't know. But it's like, well, I want someone to tell me what to do because that's what's happened my entire life. And that's what I'm comfortable with. That's what I do best with. But I, I knew that I was always miserable on the backside because I let somebody else tell me what was best for me. What's what's the best for your career path or this is the best way to do this, this is the only way to do it or don't do it that way because um, you won't succeed. And so I kind of just fell back on that. But at least I could say that, hey, well, I'm going to get paid a lot of money and I'm going to be happy. And, you know, at the end of the, the 10 year army career, we were stationed in Savannah, Georgia and uh, my wife, Erin. And I were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? And we just had twins, uh, a boy and a girl in 2015. So we had two, you know, two year old twin toddlers. And um, we knew that we wanted to at least move back to Memphis, our hometown. And and so I I partnered with like this this uh, military to corporate uh, nonprofit group called American Corporate Partners, ACP. And they hooked me up with this guy who was back in Memphis, who worked at Internet, this company, International Paper. We hit it off. Uh, I came back to Memphis, met with a few of the VPs here, and they're like, hey, uh, we understand you want to move back to Memphis, but you need to do a year in Savannah, Georgia at the paper mill so you can build that, you know, paper manufacturing foundation so that you know what you're doing when you get back to Memphis. So I I did that and uh, I came back to Memphis. Things are going great. You know, I get a promotion and um, I was so busy. And I think because I was busy with this new project, this electrical component sourcing event, um, because I was a buyer, that was my job uh, at International Paper. So busy with that, I I didn't have time to think about, am am I fulfilled? Is this is this what's for me? And then at the end of that, it's over. the sourcing events over and I'm going through like this crisis of uh, I need to leave and go get a job somewhere else because I need a new I need a change. I need a fresh start. I try to leave. IP pulls me back. Um, I get promoted and then I am miserable. I mean, like my wife is going to hear this and she's going to be like, gosh, you know, uh, sorry, sorry, you were miserable. You know, you have a a family and two kids, but it's like I, I cannot sit there from eight to five doing something that is 
absolutely meaningless and come home and pretend that because that paycheck is not only, you know, foot in the bill, but it's it's giving us a, a good financial cushion to do whatever we want to do. And I could see this in my future. It's like, well, next step is manager, uh, director, then VP. You've got it made at International Paper. You can retire with a nice pension and maybe buy a lake house or whatever else. So I saw that and I, that was a death sentence to me. And, and that's when the idea to take my father's cheese dip recipe that was proven to be one of the best, if not the best that people have had, at least in this local area in Memphis, to grocery, grocery store shelves and in restaurants. So that idea came back. It's like, I can, I can take this passion of mine food and pay homage to my family, my father, and, and those around me in my community and just kind of see where this thing goes. One thing I want to get some clarity on is you said that when you listen to the transition, you it kind of breaks your heart hearing all the people talk about, uh, you know, their struggles. What was it that that broke your heart specifically? The time that it took. The years that it took for. Was it Anthony Gant? I know he's yeah. put in a lot of time. I listen to his and, and um, there's another food entrepreneurship, Mutt Sauce. I listen to hers. Like that's a struggle. And that kind of like, I mean, kind of brings a tear when you, when I'm thinking about like what I've gone through in the last six months, if they've gone through that over, you know, a course of a decade, that is insane. And, and I, I'm fortunate. Like I, I am, like I said, I, I don't know how this happened the way it did, but it's just, it's a blessing that, maybe the hardships that I endured in the military or life in general. I mean, everybody has a story. Everybody has suffering and sacrifice that they've made, but it's relative, right? And so I, I took that and used the lessons learned and the failure, absolute catastrophic failures that I had in my life and turn it into this ball of energy that would not allow anyone to stop me. And I mean, anybody. I know the feeling that confidence, that confidence, you feel like you can't be stopped. You know, uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning about uh, uh, Founders Journal, the, the guy from Morning Brew, Alex Lieberman, he was talking about MailChimp and MailChimp was sold to into it for like $12 billion. And the founders of MailChimp refused to die. Like they would not let that company go down. They didn't let it die during the dot-com bubble. They didn't let it die during the recession, you know? And there were all these opportunities for uh, MailChimp to go under, but they just always pivoted and they stayed in the fight, stayed in the fight. And then they got that $12 billion exit. And so I guess for you, do you feel like things have come up a lot easier for you to where you don't feel like you've had to go through that, the same struggle a lot of the other entrepreneurs have had to go through out the gate? Absolutely. And, and and it's not because of, you know, who I am or what I've done. Obviously that plays a role, but this, this dang community, man, like this, the city of Memphis, this veteran network, Americans, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to, reach out and and shake people and and say like you don't have to go through life dying or living in purgatory before you even die because it's there's something out there for you it's it's you know tap into it and find it now i can't sit here and say that and preach to people because i was in that place last year right i just didn't know i knew i wanted something different but i didn't know how when or what and and when the concept came into my head, you know, one night in someone's backyard, I think it was even mine or my buddy Thomas's and got a fire pit going. And we, I threw out this idea and everyone's laughing, you know, like, Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Three months later, it's being served at two restaurants. I have a brand and LLC. I have business insurance. I've learned, I, I have a disabled veteran, small owned business certification, all of these things was not only to prove to others that I was 
capable and determined to do this, but to myself. And, and that was like what I feel like set me apart from some of the others, other people's experience. And I don't mean veterans, but there, there are people still today, but as I'm, as I'm progressing in this, in this journey that will tell me you can't do it that way. That's not how it works. You can't just take a delicious recipe and go to a co-packer and say, Hey, will you sell my product? It doesn't work like that, but I made it work like that. I partnered with a co-packer to manufacture my dad's recipe cheese dip, thousands of units, 16 ounce containers a day before I'd even sold one. And I say before I'd even sold one, that was on the grocery store shelves. But if you look at from March this of this year to to May, June, I was selling off my doorstep. I mean, I was doing I was doing pop ups like every weekend. I was partnering with local bars, breweries, restaurants, and I was just out there getting the name out there. But I, I had to prove that my cheese dip was better than any cheese dip in this local area. And we have a huge giant of a cheese dip here in Memphis called Poncho's. And and people were like, man, you're you're barking up the wrong tree. I can't believe you would even try to go up against them. Then they try the dip. They're like, damn, you know, this is this is better. This is way better. And and you could see it in their faces. And that's when I knew, like, man, I, I'm on to something. And and when I'm shipping this stuff to you know, an NBA player that I know in Philly or someone else in Texas. And, and they're like, dude, this is good. I like your branding, man. How'd you come up with cheese fix mafia? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, it came natural. It, it, it just, the help of the people that, that are in my corner, you know, whether it be veterans or friends of mine that are patriotic that, you know, came up with the logo, had its graphic designer do it for me and basically did the entire container. I mean, if you look at the container, it is a 100% like grocery store shelf. item. it doesn't look like a farmer's market product. I didn't do any of this by myself. It was with the help of other people. And at many times, no cost. They're like, we just want to, we just want to be a part of this, you know, like it's amazing. Yeah, you start building that buy-in, start build people start to those relationships, you're able to leverage those relationships. <laughs> and one of the things I want to do before we move any further is I would love for you to take a moment though and take off your armor. You know, so it sounds like things are going good. You got the the co-packer deal going, got your family supporting you. You've been able to leave your full-time job to focus on uh, Arbo's full-time. But talk to us about what's going on underneath the armor. You know, What's something that you're struggling with as an entrepreneur? If if I can, I want to hit on two things. Um, and, and one, I have heard reference here before, but I think it really needs to be addressed because I, I, I believe in the veteran community. I'm not saying everybody, but there are times that we we carry that that on our, on our sleeve as if someone owes us something or because of what our experience is, we deserve something. And we do to a certain extent, right? We, de we deserve this opportunity, but checking your ego at the door. I, I mean, I, I thought I was, was pretty grounded, you know, coming into this as I'm, I'm, I'm entering into a new space. I know nothing about it. And I just had to do this going from the military, to corporate. And I felt like I, I blended in well, right. And I, I learned. So the willingness to learn and what I'm going through right now is, yeah, I, I went from, you know, my first product being sold on May 15th to being available in 200 grocery stores. So in just four or five months. And so I'm like, why, why don't, why, or I guess if I'm trying to to get into, uh, let's say a grocery store, we'll, we'll use Kroger, for example. I'm thinking, well, I'm local. Uh, I'm a you know certified veteran, small business owner. What's not to like about this? Here's the sales data. I've sold record numbers. 
and they blow you off and they continue to blow you off. And so it leads to frustration, but you have to take a step back and realize that you're a small fish in this pond. And the only way you're going to continue to move forward is don't piss anybody off. Right. I mean, like if you do that, they're, they're going to push, brush you aside. And I've had to bite my tongue quite a bit when, when, you know, thinking like, I can't believe that, that they're not going to meet with me or I can't believe my shipment of containers is, is still delayed. What are you thinking? Do you know who you're talking? You know, I, I'm a, I'm a customer and yeah, so is everybody else. And so you, I really have to figure out where do I fit into this new space and, and stay grounded and, just continue to press on because it's all about that, that resilient mentality. Uh, and another one is, is communication. And although from the outside looking in, you know, from people here in Memphis or even in bunker labs, um, I, I have been fortunate to have had a lot of free publicity with advert, you know, local newspaper articles. I just had a commercial filmed, and I'm, I'm constantly communicating to the public. We went from here to there in this short of time. Give us a chance. But what people don't see is what goes on behind closed doors with communication with my family. And I, I'm just on that steady needs improvement. And I, I wish you could hear my wife right now. I hope hope I'm getting better. But she's a constant reminder of like, you have got this is. This is not just your journey. This is our journey. And and you wouldn't believe what I did. I mean, try, trying to figure out how to leave corporate America to do this full time was I'm not going to do it selling containers of cheese dip on day one. I, I'm going to have to prove the concept and get some investors and raise some money. And I did that. I didn't have to seek them. It, it was my friends that believed in me in doing this. So after we came up with, you know, a dollar amount that worked for a salary, then I had to go persuade my wife that I was going to give up my six figure career at a steady, stable company. We have a kid on the way, um, you know, we just moved. There's all of these things. And I have to convince her that this is uh, this is going to be OK. It's a viable option. My point is with the communication, we finally agreed on, you know, a salary mark. And once my wife, you know, kind of bought into that idea, what did I do? I, I called my boss the next day, take him to lunch and tell him that I'm quitting. And I didn't even communicate that to my wife. Like people are probably like, you idiot. Like, what were you thinking? You know, that's the person that's in your corner. And, um, you know, she's making everything happen at the house, even being seven months pregnant. I owed that to her. On the flip side, I went with my gut. I can't say I did the right or wrong thing, but communication has got to be present within the family, whatever your network is that keeps that's supporting you because they're, you're all in it together. So those are kind of the two things that, that I think have been my biggest struggle, Mike. I appreciate you for sharing and I'll get vulnerable too. you know, I have a girlfriend and I struggle with the communication piece, too. Because sometimes there'll be things that pop up of like, oh, I got to be at this place at this time and I don't let her know or something, you know. And for me, I'm just kind of running around, you know, not necessarily like chicken with his head cut off, just kind of tunnel vision. But you're right to people in our lives that are our partners. They 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 want to feel a part of it. And when we kind of get that tunnel vision and we just go, 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 and we're not pushing them information you know, they feel left out. And so it is like a constant struggle. It's a constant battle. Yeah. You know what I thought of is, is maybe attaching like a GoPro to my head just for a full day, you know? So, so, so someone can get an inner glimpse of, of what, what I'm doing. And then maybe that'll allow some, some understanding, but it doesn't excuse, you know, me not putting things on the calendar and sharing that stuff. But you, like you said, you're just, it's like, you're too busy to even think, for yourself, let alone, you know, communicate what's going on to other people. How, how do you do comms during the day? Are you texting your wife during the day? Are you going ghost from like 9 a.m. to 5? I mean, what's your process? I'm, t I'm telling on myself again, y'all, because I'm definitely yeah. the one that goes ghost. 
So we're, we're, we're both working from home and I was working from home even when I was still at an international paper and we're just on opposite sides of the house, but we'll go the whole day with maybe seeing each other once. And then kids come home um, and we go right into parent mode. And by the time we put the kids to bed, we're too tired to talk. So if I didn't get it on the calendar that day or send it in an email, consider it not, not done. You know what I mean? So uh, it, it's, it's still a work in progress, but um, the outlook calendar sharing has been pretty good lately. We might need to get a relationship expert on the transition to come on here and talk to us oh, about man. how to manage entrepreneurship <laughs> with our significant others. But it, oh, seriously, yeah. this, this is what comes with it. You know, this is the lifestyle. It's not just, you know, we're not young and 18 and no responsibilities. You know, we got people that rely on us and, you know, we're not doing this journey alone. Now, one of the things I do want to do is I, I've been saying these teachable moments, right? Because you said a lot of stuff already about your journey. And I would love you to try some insight to like our listeners, because the first thing I want to talk about is validating the business model. You know, I've been a big fan of like, is this a necessity? Like, is this a nice to have or is it like an okay to have? And then the other thing with that is like, is there a pool? You know, because a lot of times you can swim upstream trying to get a product into the market versus a market that's like asking for the product. You know what I mean? The wave is already moving and then you're just kind of catching that wave. And I'm interested to learn like your experience because it sounds like you had a lot of success early on which means that there was already a wave moving and how did you catch it? Man, that that's a great question. And I'm, I'm, I, I need things to be simple in my life and, and I need them broken down simply. <laughs> and this was one of those that was so simple. I didn't invent anything that this is not a, 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 a breakthrough in either technology or medical, the medical field or what, this is something that's already proven. It's a comfort food, right? Um, and if you look at snacks and dips, the growth of those through the pandemic, they skyrocketed. Now, I didn't think about all of that before I went all in. Those are things I learned after the fact. I'm like, oh, I probably should have done a little research before I just, you know, spent $1,200 trademarking a logo. Uh, but it's it was one of those that I knew from talking to either grocery store owners or just consumers in general that they would be willing to buy this product. So as I went through and started testing it, not only was were the sales there, but they were willing to pay a dollar fifty more for mine than they were from the leading brand here in in Memphis. And so the what you'll notice out there is like if you go to the grocery store now, you can go look in either the dairy section or like the deli section, go look and see how many cheese dips are there. There might be one or two bigger brands, but they're not good. And it's cheese, though. So you can you can kind of deal with a, an OK or average cheese dip. I knew mine. I'm biased, but I felt like it was above average and, and that what set mine apart was everything from the texture, viscosity, the appearance, you can see the seasonings and the ingredients like shining through the container versus just like a straight white cheese dip or straight yellow cheese dip. And so I kept hearing all of these things from like, you know, talking to um, uh, grocery stores or co-packers like, ooh, we really like that, but I'm, I'm holding it in this crappy plastic container that doesn't have any labeling. So it's like, yeah, if you can figure out how to get that in a, a container with, you know, get your shelf life and UPC and the ingredients declaration and the nutrition facts panel and the labeling. And then uh, oh, also, you know, figure out um, how to get that printed on the container because you have to order 25,000 at minimum for any company to print them on there, which costs $10,000. So it's like all of these things are being thrown at me and I'm just I'm, I'm taking small bites at a time. Like, all right, well, if I can focus on, you know, outsourcing it's all about the outsourcing that i did that allowed me to shrink that time frame you know we talking about how long it took some people and i'm not chastising anybody's path or experience but what i had 
that others may have not was a financial foundation because I worked at this corporate job for four years. When I when I transitioned out of the military, I had the the option to take, you know, those transition classes. It's like um, you can either go like the corporate or the the contractor route or you can take some entrepreneur classes. And I was like, I don't want entrepreneur classes that that that's not for me. Let's that's not in, in my wheelhouse. I wouldn't know how to sell a thing and I'm I can barely, you know, keep up with what I'm doing and someone's managing me. How am I going to manage myself and other people? But because I, I had that opportunity to to get that financial the savings from, you know, working international paper, I, I fell back on that for kickstarting this. So for, you know, maybe five or six thousand dollars into this, I've got a brand and I've got I have sales. You know, I didn't have to dump a bunch of money into this, but it's because I was also willing to outsource. And and that's what allowed me to scale. I didn't the idea of of taking out, you know, a huge loan, a bank loan or get investors to buy a food manufacturing facility. I thought about it, of course, because that's a way, but that wasn't my way of doing it. That's a big risk that I would have had to take for an unproven concept at the time. And so that's why it was so critical for me to find a co-packer, someone who is willing to make my product at a large scale. Now, my margin went from, you know, here to here um, base, but it's 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 all about volume. Right. But if I can if I can find this co-packer and I can go find customers, it's like the whole chicken and the egg scenario. You go to this major grocery store. They're not going to entertain it unless you have someone who can make it at large scale. You go to the co-packer. They're not going to make it unless you have customers. So where where's the middle? And and that's where I just kept, man, I was cooking weeknights. I would bring friends into the kitchen and and take up their time, six hours. And maybe that would yield me like 24 gallons of cheese dip. But eventually I was like, just because I'm good at doing this doesn't mean that's the right job for me. Yeah, it started as a passion as, you know, food, my dad's recipe. But if I want this thing to actually grow and grow quickly, I have to be willing to allow somebody else to cook it and pay somebody to do that. So I did that with one cook and this dude tripled my yield in two hours of what it would have taken me to do in six hours. And then, you know, going home and and dealing with all the, the aftermath of waking up after a long night and doing my real job. So once I let go of that, I could focus on building the business and the vision and, you know, finding customers. This guy's making my cheese dip. I'm delivering it. I want to deliver it because I'm the face of the company and I want to establish those relationships. And if people knew like how many connections I made just from delivering and, and talking with people, it, it just continued to snowball in a good way. And then so I use the sales data of, you know, hey, I'm in one store but I sold 2000 containers in less than a month at that store. Y'all should carry this too. And then before you know it, you've got clothing stores here in Memphis that don't sell food, buying refrigerators that are wrapped in Arbo's um, decals and they're selling my cheese dip because it's such a hit here in Memphis. And so that stuff just turned into, hey, co-packer, look at the news articles, look at what everybody's saying. They're asking for it in all of these different suburbs in the greater Memphis area. I can't fill the orders fast enough. Are you interested? And then I'm just turned down left and right, left and right. And one of them called me a little entrepreneur. And it goes back to, you know, checking your ego and biting your tongue. Like I wanted to tear into this person, but I was like, I'm going to use that to feed what I've got going on and let them know that, yeah, right now it's in a cheap container. But I'm going to bring this back to you one day or you're going to regret not taking me in. It's almost like I take it personal. I know they say, you know, business is business. But gosh, you can't tell that to somebody who who's doing this as their their this is their livelihood, livelihood, man. And their and so families, I, their family. So I, I, I do. T- I, I don't want to, but I do take it personal and I can't. That, that's one of the things I'm going to have to work on. Or maybe that's the maybe that's the reason that I am where I am right now is because I did take it personal. 
I, I don't know the answer to that, but should I change my methods? How I, how I feed off of rejection? I don't think so. It's worked so far. You know, I'll tell you with the ego thing, focus on your perfect customers. Cause there's a lot of people out there that are not your perfect customers. They're paying to work with, you know, they make stuff difficult versus, and they don't believe in you versus those that are like, Oh heck yeah, man. We love cheese dip. We'll give you a chance. Hey, here's our terms, et cetera, et cetera. But I think part of the entrepreneurial journey is learning that and then also having the confidence to do that. Now, there's something you said too. your previous job. What was your role? At International Paper, um, I started out as kind of like a purchasing manager trainee at the paper mill. And then I came to Memphis as a senior buyer. And then my last title was category manager, which is just a fancier name for a buyer. So I was in sourcing. I learned how to buy and negotiate. And I learned about what payment terms were and and delivery terms and, and freight terms, stuff that I never I would have been I'd be so lost right now had I not gotten that experience at IP. So you did a lot of time with economic buyers is what you're saying, right? That's Key right. decision makers. And I'm willing to bet that when you hit the ground running, that's exactly what you did. And this is another teachable moment for early stage entrepreneurs. And I was guilty of this, too. Marketing is nice, but you need sales, too. You know, and honestly, early on, you should be leaning more on sales than the, the random marketing efforts. Right. Yeah. Like putting up a blog post is nice posting on social, but no, getting on a phone call with someone, going to meet in person with that economic buyer, the one that could cut you the check, that will move you upstream so much quicker. And the other thing that I noticed, Andrew, when we first started talking, even before I got you on here, when I was looking at your stuff was you went B2B right off the bat. And I think that was one of the things that was different from you from a lot of other product-based businesses, because Consumer packaged goods is very challenging when you're doing B2C. B2C is just a whole different beast. When you go B2B like you did, you basically go in higher margins right off the bat, higher volume right off the bat, higher uh, social proof right off the bat, getting some inside like a grocery store and everything. So I think it's not necessarily like we always try to compare ventures, you know, but what it really is, is I just think that you just kind of had an unfair advantage that you lean into with your background. And then also the way you went about it was different, which is why you're in a different position than I think of a lot of early stage uh, consumer packaged goods company. And then not for nothing, right? Like at the end of the day, the market was like, we want cheese dip and we'll pay for cheese dip. You can have a kick, you can have a kick-ass product, but if the market don't want it and they're not willing to pay for it, there's nothing you can do. I don't care how, motivating and inspirational you are so you know pat yourself on the back on a lot of that stuff and that's why you said hey this happened during the pandemic i didn't even know about it but you didn't even really need to know about it because people were buying and that's what mattered man uh and i, I want i did want to mention that like looking at a cheese dip it is so versatile i mean yeah you can dip a chip in it but what have i also done I decided to mix it with macaroni and cheese and promote that or on cheese fries and selling it wholesale at restaurants for them to use it nacho as nachos. I mean, baked potato topping, taco toppings. It, Like I said, it's cheeses, dips and stuff like that. It tends to, they tend to be recession proof. People are going to eat it no matter what. And typically, hey, happy, sad, depressed, angry. You're going to get down on cheese dip if you're not lactose intolerant. So <laughs> I one of the one of the things that that I'm that I'm still trying to figure out is where do I want to go with this brand? Because as I start to talk to these bigger grocery stores, they say, oh, hey, that's great. That's a good product. Uh, what are your other SKUs? And I'm like, what, what do you and it's good enough? You know, like what what's wrong with this? Um, like, well, grocery store space. There's a strategy. If you just have one aisle or one column or one row it is so easy for the consumer to not even notice you. So the idea would be more than one of the same product, but then having two or three other SKUs. And so what I've done is I've listened to the consumers and the grocery stores to a point to where I'm asking, what are, what are you in need of? 
where where can I figure out or how can I figure out what I should bring to the table next? And the, the thing I heard the most was white cheese dip. Some people prefer white over yellow. So queso blanco. And so I've promised all of our fans I'm coming out with the queso blanco next year. I got a lot of work to do, uh, but that that's the whole point of, of me being able to leave my job early. People, everyone was telling me, don't quit your day job. You know, you need another three to five years of, of building this brand before you can consider quitting your day job. You know, I, I wouldn't have in any of it. And, and maybe a lot of that is naivety and me just not knowing. And I still feel like I wholeheartedly made the right decision because if I was working full time and doing this, something would have to give. And I've got a baby on the way. I already have two kids. I mean, there, there's not enough time in the day, in the week, in the month to get done what I need to get done. And what's next? Queso Blanco. What's after that? Hey, probably a tortilla chip. And then um, who knows where it's going to go. But having several items that fit in the same department, I learned, are critical. So if I'm focusing on deli, I need, you know, three or four deli skews. There's a couple more questions I want to ask you before we, you know, start to wrap up the interview. The first thing is you already talked about the competition, the other cheese brand that's in town. Everybody knows. Mm -hmm. How are you differentiating yourself so that you're not competing with them? And the reason I say not competing is because I'm a big fan of category design where you create your own market opportunity and you become a category of one. So what is your category of one? that differentiate, differentiates you from the competitor? Cheese dip with a kick. I wish I had some right in front of you. <laughs> Mike, I, sh I should have sent some to you to try and I will. But if, if you'll compare mine right off the bat, people want a flavor more than just cheese. Cheese is, is not, the purpose of eating a cheese dip or a sauce is not just to eat cheese. It's, it's the vessel for that flavor, the seasoning, the spices. And so what I've done or what my father did, I'll give him credit. Uh, he added some seasonings along the way that really gave it not just the flavor, but a, like a, a lingering kick after you eat it. You're like, dang, man, I don't really like spicy food that much, but there's a kick there and it just keeps you coming back for more. Competition doesn't have that, but even if they tried, there are other things that set me apart for one, they're moving to a 14 ounce option. I'm a 16 ounce. Why would I follow them down that path? My branding is light years ahead of what theirs is in terms of being modern and being capturing your local audience, but also taking something that's already good and making it better. It's cheese dip. People are going to buy it no matter what, but I've got this edgy branding that really kind of just ties in what the grit and grind community of Memphis is all about, the cheese fix mafia. And, and I just use that. And one of the first things that people see potential customers like, you know, bigger grocery store changes, man, we love your, your, your product design, your marketing. That's great. Uh, is the cheese. It, oh my God, this is some of the best cheese I've ever had. Maybe the best. Um, and so I'm hitting it on all different points. I'm getting involved in the local community. I'm participating in events. I'm becoming a sponsor. Um, the competition doesn't do it. What about your consumers? What's the difference between the consumers of your cheese dip versus the other one? Brand loyalty. So that it's a product. The, the competition is a product that's been around for since the fifties. And I, heck I grew up on it. Um, everybody in Memphis, in the local area, to Nashville, to, to Arkansas, they've heard of Ponchos. And it's one of those names that's a, it's a household brand if you're talking about cheese dips and sauces. And I don't have that. I have to really rely heavily on the marketing. And, and obviously the sales is a big piece of this, but if people aren't aware of it, they're not going to know to try it. And, and I've, I've really used the power, I mean, of social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to, to promote this brand. 
And so people are curious, like, what is that? I want to try it. And they're driving in from Arkansas to this, you know, small grocery store to, to get Arbo's cheese dip and it's selling out and I can't keep up with it. But that's where they have leverage over me is it's been around. They can sell it out of the sock if they wanted to. I can't do that. For in terms of funding, you know, you mentioned being able to take on some capital. How much capital did you did you end up raising? You don't have to give an exact number, but you know, just to give no, our listeners, um, an, yeah, I, I raised uh, right over a quarter million dollars. Quarter million dollars, um, so about three hundred thousand, and you know, that's given me some some additional cap working capital, even though I don't have a lot of expenses because I'm not buying. The things that I'm buying that cost are my ingredients, my containers, um, and obviously some upfront costs here and there, but I'm not buying, you know, big equipment or taking a, I don't have to take a loan out on anything. So the, the majority of that is really paying my salary for several years, but um, it's giving me the, the bandwidth to really focus on the company and once you once you go in and, and scale this and get to a point where it's like okay instead of buying a thousand containers and having my parents hand apply labels um that you know all together is over a dollar fifty i have to buy twenty five thousand of these and they'll be printed on but that's going to you know bring the price down to 20 to 30 cents per container as opposed to like a dollar fifty right so those are some of the things where it's like, I, I don't need a ton of money right now. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm able to do this at a relatively cheap price, low cost. Appreciate you for sharing stuff like this is super helpful, you know, for, for our listeners. And then the last thing, and it goes back to what we talked about in the pre, the, the before we started recording is your BHAG, yeah. Jim Collins. What's your big, hairy, audacious goal for, Ardo's cheese dip, Arbo's cheese dip. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Um, so I, I got to be careful with this, but you know, it, it, if you don't have that kind of vision, then what's the point? There's two things, right? So one, I was talking with another. Uh, there's a, a, a barbecue. You know, Memphis is a big barbecue spot. There's competitions here. We've got local teams and. And I was talking to one of my, my buddies that I've really become close to. He's on a barbecue team here. They make sauces and rubs and stuff like that. And, and, and he said, you know, Hey, I like what you're doing. I just need a little bit of help. Um, any connections you, you can do what I'm trying to do. I'm speaking in third person for him. He's like, what I'm trying to do is just, you know, make enough money on this so it can float our, um, our barbecue competitions. Um, and, and I'm sitting there thinking that's not your vision. You're tricking yourself. You're fooling yourself because you're afraid of letting yourself down if you think bigger or dream bigger. If you have this idea that this could become something big, way bigger than you or a barbecue fest team, then you won't be let down at the end of the day if that doesn't happen. Right. So that's why I think it's so important that we have to have these big ideas and big vision. Don't get ahead of yourself. But if you're not thinking big, so that BHAG, let me get to that. The Walmarts, the Costco's, the Sam's Clubs. That's my vision. The 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 military commissaries, the the VA hospital cafeterias. Like that's where I, I want to take over the nacho cheese game nationally. This is a perishable product, meaning it has to be refrigerated. It has a shelf life. If you go to a grocery store today and you buy that you know, glass jar of Tostitos that almost looks brown, you know, that brown looking cheese sauce and stuff is gross, man. Like people, there's not enough perishable cheese, good cheese dips out there. So, so that's my vision is growing this to a certain point. But, you know, I, like I said, I have to be careful of who my audience is when I say that uh, a good friend of mine and actually one of my investors, um, buddy, Adam Crawford, he's got a couple businesses here in Memphis just very sound and and kind of keeps me sane and focused. But uh, we're, we're at a we're at a food show where I'm speaking to all these different grocery stores 
and I'm talking to this one store owner who has about, you know, 120 stores, which is very significant. And based on their body language, I could kind of see that they weren't necessarily um, not bought into the idea, but impressed. So I just kept going, you know, and I'm speaking from the heart, like, this is my vision. You know, I, obviously I'm starting here, but I, I plan to be in, you know, all these other places or whatever. And uh, after after the show, my buddy Adam was like, hey, man, humble beginnings. You know, you, you got to you got to know when and where to say that, because if you're telling them you're you're planning to go to Costco, I mean, like, are you bypassing the small grocery chain or are you just saying that you're using them as a stepladder to get to the next big thing? And I mean, obviously, that's not my my goal or my intention, but I'm over here thinking, um, you know, that expressing myself, but you, you got, it's like, know your audience, you know, and, and maybe dial it back a little bit when you need to. Yeah. Start small. Sometimes you got to start small to go big, but, uh, it yeah. seems like you're well on your way, man. And I want to say it's been a pleasure, uh, learn a little bit about your, a little bit more about your story. You know, you being open and honest and vulnerable about the challenges with communication and, you know, the ego and everything else to a bunch of strangers that are listening all over the country and all over the world. Before we let you go, I would love for you to take a moment to give some advice to our listeners that are either starting their entrepreneurial journey or currently going through it, give you the opportunity to speak to them directly, and then also let us know as a community how we can support you and your efforts with Arbos. Uh, hey, I appreciate that. And these are the things I always look, at, look forward to with these conversations. And um, I'm going to probably hit on a couple, but I do want to give some tangible advice. You've got to tap into the tax paid resources that are available to you as an entrepreneur. All you need is an LLC. That's 300 bucks to start an LLC. OK, I mean, don't do that if you don't know what you're wanting, what your vision is. I mean, but if you have an idea that you want to start a business, you do that. Then now you can tap into the PTAC the Procurement Technical Assistance Center. Every state has one. Um, it's it's assistance with, and this is really, you know, for everybody, but for especially for veterans, your government contracting resources. I mean, Veronica Clark of the Tennessee PTAC based out in Nashville basically held my hand willingly, happily to get me my disabled veteran service owned business certification. That could take somebody years to do. And she, she, she helped me tremendously. These are excellent resources. The SBDC, the Small Business Development Centers, Rhonda Brown out of Memphis uh, hooked me up with an award-winning business coach, Steve Pitcairn. These people have challenged me. They believe in you. They're your cheerleaders, and they're going to put you in touch with the right people, the networking, the contacting, and just the training and resources that you need to be successful. I hit those things early on, which al allowed me to not fumble uh, down the road. So that was the tangible one I, I want to give is make sure you use those. Obviously, if you're a veteran and you're not a part of Bunker Labs, you're doing yourself a disservice. When I was starting this and I got connected with James Suh and then eventually Blake Hogan and Brandon Essie and now you, Mike, I mean, I've learned so much just becoming a, a veteran in residence of the, the Nashville cohort. And I plan to be around for a long time, as long as Bunker Labs will let me. So um, on, on the, the non-tangible, I guess, um, the one thing in life that I've done to bring myself to that above average space when I need to is surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. And it, it hurts to say that because one thing we teach is like, hey, don't compare yourselves to other. Well, yeah, sure. If that's what you're, if that's the only thing you're measuring yourself off of, but you're the average of the five people that are closest to you or that you hang out with the most. So if you're not hanging out with involving yourself and, and making friends or, you know, being led by people that are better than you, then you're not going to get better yourself. And so that's one of the ones I just can't drive home enough. And, uh, um, you know, I, I know this is an opportunity for me to kind of plug in Arbo's cheese dip. And as much as, as I would want to say, go online to arbosdip.com, A-R-B-O-S-D-I-P.com and order some cheese dip. I can't yet. We're working on, you know, the e-commerce side of things. So 
If you're in the Mid-South, Memphis, Nashville area, just please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Arbo's Dip uh, on all the, the social media platforms. And, and we just we plan to continue to grow and scale quickly to become available. One day we'll be that e-commerce setup, but cold packing is is not an easy thing and, and not a, a cheap thing to do either. Um, uh, but you could at least go to the website now and, and like Mike said, buy a hat, buy a T-shirt and support a veteran owned business. And uh, Mike, like I said, I, I'm just honored to be here and be a part of uh, the podcast. And I appreciate you giving me this chance. Yeah, man. Hey, Andrew was fired up, y'all. I'm actually remote. Um, usually I podcast from my studio in Newark, New Jersey, but I'm out here at the Bunker Lab staff retreat. Um, so we're getting out here doing some planning, trying to push you all some amazing uh, programming and support. And uh, I told Andrew, I was like, listen, man, we're still going to do our interview. And he's all fired up about it. So I'm super happy to be able to, to have you on here and uh, share all that knowledge and insight to our listeners. For everyone that's tuning in, I need you to do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Transition Podcast and newsletter on Substack at the link in the show notes. As a reminder, I release a newsletter every Tuesday and a podcast every Thursday, which I push out via newsletter on Fridays. You can leave a comment about each episode on Substack. And if you have any questions about your own venture, be sure to post that there as well. I'm always looking for content and I would love to learn what you all are struggling with in your own ventures, as well as what topics you'd like me to cover either on the show or in the newsletter. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, make sure you visit www.bunkerlab.org, select the city nearest to you, and sign up for the local newsletter. From there, attend one of our networking events, either in person or virtual. It's that simple. Make sure you also check out Bunker Online, where you can learn about our many different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey. We have programs that'll take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to go alongside other founders and CEOs. Register today by clicking connect at bunkerlabs.org. Andrew, thanks again. And thanks for everyone. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.